The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. Legendarium. It felt like a, a fable yeah. being told. Yeah. Uh, you know, so a much longer Aesop fable. <laughs> yes. Admittedly, this with, is if the tortoise in the hare had, you know, had 80 days to get around the world type thing. So. And then the tortoise sprouted wings and ate the hare and burned the villagers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I feel like I haven't said those words in a little while, even though it hasn't been that long, but... It feels kind of weird to watch you say them. Yeah, it's so I am Craig, your host, and I am here with a couple of people to talk about a Wizard of Earthsea. Who is with me, you might ask? Great question! Well, we've known each other for about 24 years, and I think we have yet to decide which of us is the other's shadow demon. It's Ryan Bruckman. Ooh, I'm probably the... Sh no, you're probably the shadow. You're definitely yeah, okay. the shadow. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, according to... Well, never mind. Yeah. There's There are stories. Pull that mic a little closer, Ryan. All right, and over there, he's like Ogion, who finds true wisdom in silence. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Not he's even. the loudest person I know. It's Todd Wenty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much fun to be back in this kind of a setting. So, we, yeah, we were just reflecting a little while ago that uh, it has been a long time since the three of us have made a podcast together, so I'm really looking forward to this. And also, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw me tweet this on uh, on, on Twitter this week that we got a complaint on YouTube. Yes, it made me laugh so hard. I'm sorry, fun. I missed that. Somebody told us to quit our caterwauling and get to the point. <laughs> yeah. To which I responded, you must be new here. <laughs> so, we, yes, today we are talking about a Wizard of Earthsea. Before we get there, I will just remind everybody. Well, first of all, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about the whole book, I guess. Spoiler alert for this 50-year-old book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, also visit us at patreon.com slash legendarium. If you enjoy what we do and you want to support the show, we would love that. And also find us on Discord. I don't know what the Discord link is off the top of my head because Discord has weird links, but you can find it pinned at the top of our Reddit uh, profile. So go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and uh, you can join our Discord from there. That's probably the easiest way to find it. Uh, and Discord is where we have the most discussion these days it yeah. used to be reddit where we spent most of our time but uh i find discord to be a very very charming little place to hang out our our discord server is honestly and i, I don't mean this facetiously in the slightest it is a paragon of virtue amidst a sea of internet filth <laughs> it is a wonderful place it really is it is uh, i'm very respectful very uh, yep, uplifting very supportive very I have, fun i have been impressed when I have logged in, I don't log in often, but when I have logged in, I've been very impressed. Yeah. And I, I hope that honestly, I, I hope everybody who listens goes and checks it out and, and joins in the conversation there. And I also hope that the, uh, that the, <laughs> the culture that we've built there can scale up. Yeah. You yeah. know, oftentimes you get more and more people and it doesn't work out so well, but honestly, I think it'll be all right. I think so, so yeah, too. Come join us. All right. So a wizard of earth sea. Let's first of all, Ryan, why did we choose a Wizard of Earthsea? Uh, I think it was just because we needed a break, right? Well, we had talked, I vaguely remember a discussion about that we had finished uh, Lord of the Rings. We just finished yep. our Lord of the Rings and that this was at one point written as uh, in some way connection to Tolkien's writings of Lord of the Rings. Right, right. And we wanted to uh, just get a view of that and see what was going on. A uh, bit of the Tolkien connection there. And then also, quite frankly, you know, we especially on Red Team, we've tackled a lot of epic fantasy, heavier duty, things that require a lot of investment of time and resources. And we needed something that was a little bit lighter, uh, just at least in terms of page count yeah. and things like that. Because so. this isn't this isn't necessarily light. No, no. The, uh, as far as topically. It, yeah, there's a lot of really nice depth to uh, different teachings and different moments in it yeah. uh, that I really appreciated. So. Yeah. And now this is your first time having read the book. Yes. this is. I believe this is actually the first... Uh, Le Guin story I've ever read. It's the only one I've ever read. This is my second time through it. I read it once when I was, I think I was about 23, maybe 24. I read this because I was a huge Tolkien fan and I was kind of digging into some other 
fantasy stuff. Uh, and so I picked up this one. And at the time, it just went right over my head. Um, in a similar way, I think, to how we reacted initially to um, Robin Hobb. Robin Hobb. Whatever, what was it called? Assassin's Apprentice. Uh, where, as I reflect on that one, I kind of understand a little bit better what she was trying to do and and mm-hmm. uh, the skill involved and at the time i was just like this sucks not not quite like that but i had a tougher time with it uh anyway this one on the second time through man did i really enjoy it i had a great time with it really yeah i did todd this is your third or fourth time through third time i think and when was the first time you read it because you're you're old right so it could have been a while i am i am significantly older than the two of you in this room (laughs) yes combined (laughs) (laughs) uh okay i might be almost older than both of you put together um (laughs) like you were alive when this was released and we were not so at least run from there actually it was one year ahead of me so it probably hit the bookstore (laughs) as i was being birthed um so but i i read it when i was uh i read it in the mid 80s okay uh so when i was in fact i think i was 14 okay middle school high school somewhere uh it was at i i got it from the caseville junior high library nice i checked all three of them out from the caseville junior high library i went through them in about four weeks and uh, the first time that i read them and absolutely loved them devoured them loved them uh they had a profound impact on me at that age there were there were things that i made choices about in my life because i read those books yeah yeah well okay ryan you mentioned a connection to the lord of the rings i actually hunted down a little bit i i do not claim to know much about this particular subject and i haven't read a lot of Le Guin. i've, I've read precisely one Le Guin book which i will <laughs> remedy actually i i am determined to remedy that so don't worry Good. all you shouting hordes out there um Anyway, but I did hunt down because I was like, what What was her connection to the Lord of the Rings? Did she love it? Did she hate it? Did she, you know, whatever. And it turns out she really loved the Lord of the Rings. And she told this story in, uh, there was a kind of a collection of essays about the Lord of the Rings and she contributed something and she talked about how when she, uh, she would pass this shelf, it was a bookstore or a library or something, and she would pass this shelf that had the Lord of the Rings on it as a new acquisition. So this is back in the you know, late 50s, early 60s. It's early 60s, I think, because it was the Houghton Mifflin edition. And um, and it was the the one with a, a kind of a tan cover and the three black eyes of Sauron. Oh. Um, so, you know, first edition covers. And she said, those eyes just kept boring into me. And I didn't want to read it because they scared me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I didn't like the title and it seemed like it was probably really uh, affected and all that stuff. And so anyway, but she ended up picking it up and loving it and reading it. And she read it to her children. And she said, um, I, I believe that my hesitation, my instinctive distrust of those three volumes in the university library was well-founded. To put it in the book's own terms, something of great inherent power, even if wholly good in itself, may work destruction if used in ignorance or at the wrong time. One must be ready. One must be strong enough. So that's how, that's how she felt about The Lord of the Rings. I think um, she, she probably had a... Uh, somewhat complex relationship with it as I think we could possibly pick up just by reading A Wizard of Earthsea. Yes. Um, And so I had heard for years that A Wizard of Earthsea was a kind of commentary about or a response to The Lord of the Rings. And so I kind of had that in mind this whole time that I read it. Um, And I don't know if we're going to get to a ton of that because I don't know if we're quite qualified (laughs) to dig into that stuff, but it is an interesting way to read the book. The only thing I, I mean, I, re- I agree. I don't really know that I, we can give a great in-depth analysis in comparison of the two, other than just for me reading it with a similar mindset coming in, uh, sitting here going, not so much as a commentary against or for Lord of the Rings, but just what resonated as similar and what was ex- what was very different right. uh, in terms of uh, the way that they handled things, uh, specifically magic systems, a uh, little bit different feel, even though I still believe that this uh, would be qualified as a little bit more of a soft magic system. Sure. Uh, similar to... Uh, well, I mean... Sorry, go on. Relatively speaking. Uh, I mean, we don't Not learn... compared to the Lord of the Rings, but compared to other magic systems out there. Yes, definitely okay. in comparison right. to, to magic systems as we know them today. It's It would be classified as a soft magic system, but uh, there is still more depth to the magic system in 
Wizard of Earthsea than you would see in Lord of the Rings, uh, specifically with control over uh, using names and things like that, although there are mentions of that in Lord of the Rings. Um, but just moments like that where I was like, this is this is different enough for me now that I don't feel like it would, that I never felt like it was specifically just trying to ride the Lord of the Rings wave. Sure. Well, yeah, one, yeah. Of, one of the things that I thought of, because we had talked about that a little bit, that perhaps that perspective needed to be there. So I, as I was re- reading the piece this time, I thought about it in, in those terms. What could I find? What, what's different? What would I, what would I identify as either lending to that or, or being something to say, well, maybe not. Uh, one of the things that I, that I really appreciated differently about a wizard of Earthsea, And I think one of the reasons that it held my attention when I was younger was that it was not uh, it, it the the wizard was not a player he was the player and so while while Gandalf ran around doing things yeah. it's not about Gandalf n- none of the Lord of the Rings is about Gandalf right but a wizard of Earthsea oh yes it is all about Sparrowhawk and what he goes through and so for me the 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 dramatic shift between in between those two as far as the telling let alone uh, the style that she decides to try and use to tell the story. Oh boy. Dramatically different. Yeah. yeah. So if, I put a, if I put a gauge out here and put Lord of the Rings on one side and Harry Potter on the other, where would you put, put the arrow? What do you mean? Gauge uh, for what? Just in terms of which is, which would this be more similar to? Because if we're following the, the story of a young wizard who coming into his power and doing things versus uh, still uh, much, still much closer to Lord of the Rings in my opinion. Okay. We, let's, let's come back to that. Okay. Um, what do you say we go back to the beginning? Okay, let's actually talk <laughs> about the story. Let's, oh, come on. Let's stop I want our power now. And go I, forward. <laughs> I demand to be able to do these spells immediately. All right. Let's go back to the beginning, and I actually have a summary for you, which what? I will now deliver ten, 10 minutes into the episode. Uh, all right. Dunny, a.k.a. Ged, a.k.a. Sparrowhawk, is a real dick. I mean... He's not as much of a dick as some of the people around him, to be sure. Uh, He's the kind of dick that anyone who's lived through adolescence can recognize in him or herself at some point. Problem is, Ged is a wizard, so his less-than-delightful tendencies have more uh, deleterious consequences than the average kid's. When Ged tries to summon the dead to outdo a classmate at wizard school, he almost dies and unleashes his own demon shadow thing upon the world. And that sobers him up quite a bit. Almost the moment he leaves wizard school, Ged sets out on a quest to find, understand, and destroy that shadow. There are harrowing adventures, lessons learned, and friendships cemented. And in the end, I think we all learned something during this very special episode of Blossom. Oh my word. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) The ending, I did find the ending extremely satisfying, uh, but I think maybe we'll get to there in just a moment. But uh, if we back it up a little bit, uh, going from the beginning of the story, this kind of starts out in an interesting way where we're in the stereotypical small town oh, with an orphan child who nobody understands. And then it, it really quickly takes a turn because he's not, um, he's not meant for the, the farmer's life. Right? Nobody thinks that he is, right? He's just kind of like passed around from house to house and nobody quite knows what to do with him. And then he starts exhibiting magic powers really young. And so... I, I kind of feel like it's some of that uh, stereotypical coming of age stuff that we read in a lot of yeah. these stories happens really quickly. Mm-hmm. And he just, she shoots him right past that stuff. Um, but uh, but I, I enjoyed that beginning part, especially because there were a few, um, there are a few moments. There's one in particular, uh, which I, I thought this was a great, um, uh, a great moment where she upends a, a a certain trope and the trope is that the thing i need i or the thing i need to know the power i need to have the the thing i need to understand i will acquire that just in time mm-hmm. right and so i mean we see this all the time now i i'm thinking of um i'm thinking of the stormlight archive i will not spoil anything in the stormlight archive but it's pretty well known that especially in the first couple of books there is a character for whom you know the his his little companion tells him oh you'll know when you need it and that's It'll exactly right what that's exactly how it right happens. when he needs the magical power to come aid him and you know that's when it happens anyway so his village is being destroyed and ged has been learning a few magic spells but he really doesn't know all that much he's naturally talented but 
he hasn't been training for very long or with somebody, anybody very effective. Um, there was, and this is a quote from the book, there was power in him if he knew how to use it, and he sought among all the spells he knew for some device that might give him and his companions an advantage, or at least a chance, but need alone is not enough to set power free. There must be knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I kind of grinned a little bit when I saw that and goes, yeah, okay, so she's thumbing her nose maybe at some of the fairy tales where it just happens automatically for the hero because he's the hero her her approach to this was uh in at least in my opinion uh, a a really interesting blend of i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you the moral that you should learn i'm gonna tell you the lesson of this story yeah but then i'm gonna tell you the story anyway and i i've i found myself a couple of times going Oh, that was a nice little editorial comment that you threw in there that <laughs> we didn't really need to know. I think we were getting that just fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, we're going to pull out long enough for me to say, oh, by the way, just in case you missed this, here's my information. You know, one thing I don't know, because when we do these episodes, I think we try to approach these as ourselves. We're not here to gather up all the world's knowledge about a wizard of earth sea and deliver that to our audience right this is about our reactions to it and so i don't know the answer to this question who was she writing the book for because if she was writing it for a younger audience then i think those things are merited yeah yeah. right if she's writing it for the 14 year olds of the world then you know maybe you do need just a little bit of help she's gonna hold your hand and say now this is the lesson and i think uh because of some of the other uh some of the other pieces that i've read by uh I think that is her target audience normally. I think based on the way that the book was written and the and the depth that she chose to pursue some of the some of the issues and some of the themes uh, makes it make uh, makes a, a very strong case for the fact that this is being written for late teens, maybe young adult, but it is it is not necessarily written from a standpoint of this is a this is a book that will hold the attention yeah. uh, of a of an of an, a fully adult reader who's got you know the weight of the world weight resting on their shoulders mm-hmm. now this is this is for somebody who's trying to figure out what it is to take your place in the world so i think she was writing these more as a as a teenager's book not a child's book but something for the teenagers the middle readers yeah yeah uh so let's move on then in the story to the wizarding school right so he goes to hogwarts and no i'm kidding todd easy easy man i love that every wizarding school is now now hogwarts Hogwarts. (laughs) it doesn't matter what book series or anything it's all that well we do have a better name i'm just trying to i'm trying to deliver this message in a way that our most twittery uh listeners can Ah. understand oh harry potter harry potter's big on twitter for many reasons <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot of discussion there. Anyway, all right, so he goes to wizarding school. Yeah, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Goes to wizarding school, and it, it, what kind of surprises me a little bit about this book is this is a slim volume. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple hundred pages, uh, and maybe like, what, 30, 40, maybe 50 of that is in the wizarding school. At, at yes kind of this formative place for him and then he just goes on goes yeah. on with the, the rest of the book but anyway so let's talk about that a little bit uh his time there and uh how we see it there is a question by the way i i i will get to the discord comments i don't know if i want to get to this one just yet but people did ask us to compare it and contrast it to the name of the wind which mm. uh you know do we want to do that now or should we save that because because he goes to wizard school and then goes and has adventures right yeah I, I please don't take this as any sort of slight on Le Guin or anything else or uh, praise of Rothfuss or anything but I would say that this would be name of the wind light <laughs> uh, just as far as like amount of time given to that sort of thing what do you mean by that time depth uh, were prose written in praise like the style of the prose this is very much the, the the adventure so is very are, similar. Are you saying that the prose in the name of the wind is superior to this, and that that this the prose here is name of the wind light? I would say that the prose in name of the wind is uh, more artistic and more aimed to be artistic than it is than whereas with this one I feel it is more narrative uh, based on narrative. Really, I would interesting. S- 
I, that's interesting. I guess it define it depends on how you define artistic, right? Yeah, and everybody's going to have their own definition of that. And I guess the 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 bar for me here would be I can hand I can read Wizard of Earthsea to my son, and he can grasp some of the core what's going on. He can follow the narrative type thing. You think so? Really? Yeah. If I read him Name of the Wind. Uh, I think he's going to struggle a little bit more just with having to listen through it. Though. Oh, I feel totally the opposite. Really? This, yeah, interesting. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Todd, have you read Name of the Wind? Not yet. Okay. All right. Well, boy, did you just set off a bunch of uh, listeners. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, That's okay. They probably all haven't read The Expanse yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I kind of feel the opposite where the Name of the Wind, it's it's like if, um, if, if you have somebody like... Um, Oh, like a Glenn Cook or or somebody who uses kind of Spartan prose versus a Brandon Sanderson who describes every single button on Ellen's jacket or whatever, mm-hmm. right? I feel like Pat Rothfuss is in the middle of that where it's um, it's used well and it's artistic and all that stuff, but he still has a very uh, descriptive style, you know, mm-hmm. that that's very contemporary. Uh, whereas this one, I feel like. If I oh this is actually another question Kiptan asked us how would you describe her style of imagery who would you most compare and contrast her to and I was thinking about it and I was I was kind of thinking about the Tolkien connection and I I thought you know first of all I'm not widely enough read in fantasy believe it or not to say like oh yeah she definitely clearly echoes of whatever author back in the fifties I I don't know uh, but comparing her to people that I know uh, if I were to take the Tolkien angle. She is somewhere in between the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion in her language and imagery. I would buy that. Okay. In, in, in at least uh, on this read through. Yeah, the one of the and and I think you and I kind of mentioned this a little bit that she she seems to approach this from a standpoint of I'm going to tell you a, I'm going to tell you a story and then the story happens. But as the story's happening, there's there's moments where it's conversation and interaction, and then it's these big sections where we describe what's happening, almost as if it was a, uh, in a in a film piece. It would be the musical montage where they're moving from one place to the next. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's a there's a brevity of speech. There's uh, there's very few places where it's long extended por- portions of dialogue and conversation. Instead, she puts a lot of the emphasis on describing the the journey it's more about the journey than the than the destination and oh boy i can't believe i just walked into that one uh but the other thing that's interesting about it is that her for me at least the the style of prose that she uses feels much more like a fairy tale it feels like it's designed as we want to tell you an old story and so we're going to use some some archaic sounding terminology and phrase phrase crafting to make it sound old, to make it sound like one of these grim fairy tales. And that's one of the things that I think for me really made it a, a very fun read and a very interesting read, both the first time and this time. I think it's interesting that you say that because one of the feelings I had when I finished this book, uh, I looked back and I'm like, I enjoyed this. This uh, there's, there's some really great moments here, especially here at the end. I like the messaging and everything. I felt the same way that I feel after a well-told version of an Aesop fable or something. Yes, I was like, that is that is the feeling I got off this this first read through, um, and where I would kind of classify it in terms of uh, the writing uh, on it is just it, it felt like a a fable yeah. being told. Yeah, uh, you know, so a much longer Aesop fable. Yes, <laughs> admittedly, this with, is if the tortoise and the hare had you know had eighty days to get around the world type thing. So and then the tortoise sprouted wings and ate the hare and burned the villagers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, and okay. then said he was sorry. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I, I want to get to some Discord comments. Ryan, do you have anything specific that you want to bring up before I do that? Or should I go to the Discord comments and see what that uh, brings up for us? Most of what I would want to talk about, there's, there's a whole bunch of, we've already talked about the kind of one-line fable or one-line morals in there. There's just a bunch in there that I really appreciate, but we can dive into Discord uh, why don't you give me those. one? Give me one that you liked. Uh, Ober, uh, not Oberon. Ogion. 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 That was how it was read in the in the audiobook version that I read. Oh, Ogion. Okay. Time. All right. So, Ogion. Uh, when he talks about 
to hear you must be silent or yeah, yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> uh, just little moments like that uh, where you stop you hear like especially you know I'm listening on the audio book or whatever here and it's hit the pause button and go let me think about that for a minute here <laughs> because on its face like immediately you hear that and you're like oh yes that's one of those old you know sayings that just rings true immediately but then if you really take a minute to think about it like the depth that it takes to actually listen I, it immediately sent me off my um, sent me off on a mental path of thinking about okay listening hearing you know am i you know creating responses in my head at the same time or am i truly to like silence of the mind when listening everything like it just it immediately sent me down a path of something to think about mm-hmm. and there's i think three or four of them in the story that did that to me where it was, yeah. I was uh, one of the other ones being at the very end when there was the real you know, the realization of that a man uh the the combination of light and dark when conjoined uh, when joined together uh, neither one could control the other right moment things like there's moments like that and then we can revisit those okay as we want but just a couple real of examples. quick it sounds like you listened to this book yes. you did the audiobook yes. okay i wonder if that accounts for our difference in how we perceived the style and the prose probably i, I honestly i know people talk about this all the time about the the value of audiobooks or the versus reading and, and how they're different experience and they really I, I absolutely have come to believe that they are a very distinct and different experience. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it can uh, really yeah. change a book. And uh, honestly, books that we are reading nowadays, books that are written by Sanderson's or Brent Weeks or you know whoever, Robert Jordan, um, to an extent, those are books that are sometimes on purpose meant to be read on audiobook. They understand that, yeah, a lot of people are going to be doing this on Audible, and so I have to write a book that's going to be read aloud or listened to aloud where in 1968 that wasn't no probably was much of it. a consideration yeah and so yeah so it, it's just a very different moment in time yeah my first time reading it obviously i read i, I read the second time going through in the audiobook there are there are pieces of the process that changed for me now granted part of the process will also have been that they were separated by almost almost 40 years of history yeah. but uh, as I as I think about what was impactful then and what was impactful this time through, things are different. Things are different. And some of that might be the medium. Yeah, it could be. All right, so let's get to some Discord comments. Ooh, if you are new, sorry, I just knocked my phone over. If you are new to the Legendarium, then uh, I would encourage you to go join us on Discord. And part of the reason is that uh, we generally ask for comments and questions before we start recording an episode so we can respond to what you have to say. So I got a few of those today from our Discord server. Uh, let's see. We talked about similarities to the name of the wind a little bit. Um, let's talk about which books or series do you think have drawn the most influence from Earthsea? Well, Ooh. this is an interesting question from Wiley Coyote. So <laughs> thank you, Wiley. Um, I don't, again, I'm not wide enough, widely enough read to know all of the places that this could have impacted, but I think it's a bunch. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about, okay, so Harry Potter has got the, got the wizarding school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you think JK Rowling never read a wizard of Earthsea, please, of course she did, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, yeah, I'm sure Credited she did or not. And, and then we get to Patrick Rothfuss who wrote the name of the wind mm-hmm. and he claimed, I, as somebody said, I, okay, so I don't have a primary source on this, but I think it was somebody on our discord server claimed that Pat Rothfuss says that he hadn't read this book prior to writing a name, the name of the wind, mm-hmm. which is one of those things where it's like, ah, maybe, maybe I need to go back and read that. I'm not sure if I believe him, <laughs> but maybe, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there are a lot of echoes, uh, between the two. So it would be remarkable if they, if they both existed in, in a vacuum separated from each other. Uh, but, but I will say, I mentioned Brent Weeks just a moment ago, um, this kind of reminded me a little bit of reading the, uh, what, what's Ryan, what's the name of the series we just did? Brent Weeks? Lightbringer. Lightbringer, where there's a lot of uh, seafaring and it's kind of a Mediterranean feel sure. to, to everything. Well, uh, and, and there, are, there are bits and pieces and I don't know, I, I guess I don't, as I'm, as I'm thinking about where this book came in the, in, in the pantheon of modern fantasy writing, 
um, it's it's still pretty early. Oh yeah, and yeah. so to look at almost any of the uh, of the pieces that we see and that we kind of take for granted now, uh, the the magic system based all around names. Yeah, you know, yeah, okay, that's that's something that we see in other places as well. But my goodness, some of them really take it and run with it. Yeah, uh, all the stuff that we're doing in Dresden. <laughs> did you is huge with that? Yeah. Uh, what, did you ever read Aragon? Yes, uh, Christopher Pellini. Yes. Wait. Okay. So everything. You mean, you mean in, the book that was taken from all of the other yeah, books yeah, exactly. and just kind of mashed together? There's, there's literally, literally not an original thought in those <laughs> books, and that's fine. Honestly, that's if I have any complaints with that series, that's not one of them. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, that that's definitely one of those echoes that you see is uh, if you know the true name of something, then you have power over it. Yep. Uh, so I. So when it comes to her being one of the first. I want to mention that for a moment. I have been thinking about this lately because it's like, okay, Tolkien, we think of him as the father of modern fantasy, right? Sure. He wasn't the first person to write a fantasy story. No. There were lots of fantasy stories before him. So what separates him? And it's uh, sub-creation, right? The idea of creating a secondary world that is independent from our own and has its own, you know, cultures and laws and languages and magics and all this stuff. Uh, and, And so I think he is... He may not even be the first to do something like that, but he's definitely the first to do it at the level and to the degree uh, with which he did it. And so that's where I think we draw that line between yeah. modern and pre-modern fantasy. And uh, if we have that line, then she is definitely one of the first mm-hmm. uh, to kind of dabble in that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Well, when and and when we look at the when we look at the fantasy literature from earlier they you know if if we want to if we want to call it fantasy literature um witches were almost always evil mm-hmm. uh wizards were almost always corrupt and bent on the destruction and domination of mankind and the and the hero was almost always the one wielding the sword it right. reminds me of the bad adaptation first night where they start off the thing and it says and after all, Lancelot was Richard, all handy. Richard yeah. as Lancelot? Lancelot was always handy with a sword. I was, I, I watched that. That was where I looked at my wife and I said, "Eject that! We are not watching this any longer." <laughs> and she said, "Oh, it could be fun. It could be fun." I walked out of the room. Um, the 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 history with the ex, with the exception of Lamorta Arthur uh, was was pretty much that wizards are bad, magicians are bad. We don't trust them. We're we're not going to be around them, and that shifts dramatically in tone with Tolkien. And then we get to, we, we, we start moving along and saying, okay, can we explore that a little bit further? And I think Ursula K. Le Guin does a good job of starting it. I have, I have a couple of beefs with it that maybe we'll get to a little bit later too. Uh, But I was very, that was, that was the piece for me that I think as I, as I look at the run of this, that was really remarkable is that, yeah, we're 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 turning a corner. This is this is what makes Harry Potter possible. Mm-hmm. Without this book, without this series, I don't think Harry Potter ever exists. Well, sure, there's kind of a what you're talking about there. I I really would struggle to say. I feel like this author was inspired by this book or not. You know, maybe you know things like the Sword of Shannara, Terry Brooks. With it's you know, pretty clear. Like that's kind of where I'm sitting here closest to that. But one of the elements similar to we have good wizards now, uh, it's the idea that magic has a price that I think mm. is not is a very common trope now that we use is realizing that you can't, you, I shouldn't say you can't, you generally don't just let magic run wild. No. There has to be an, uh, a, a give and a take and a cost to what, you know, to its use. Yes. So and I don't really know that that's, yes. that's not a really a common you. piece. Uh, Prior to this, yeah. I would say. Um, I don't know why I connected this series at all, but the other series, I thought it was actually around the same time. I'm curious as to if there is any effect between the two, but you know, uh, McCaffrey, Dragon Riders of and Pern. McCaffrey. Yeah. And McCaffrey, Dragon yeah. Riders of Pern. If any of those, uh, just kind of those early, those, those early books, what tones they set from there on uh, for what we're reading now. I, uh, that's yeah. That's one I'd love to talk about one of these days too. Yeah, we really need to get into Dragonflight, etc. Uh, one day, one day. 
All right, so let's go on to some other Discord questions. We already kind of addressed this one, but I do want to acknowledge no, no, Rai Rai, <laughs> uh, which is, I'm sure, one of the uh, most common phrases Sorry, that's in your household. PTSD yeah, exactly, right when you were a, a, but a <laughs> No, no, I didn't. It wasn't me. No, no, Rai Rai. Okay. <laughs> but uh, no, no, Rai Rai asked, how do you feel about, uh, how do you feel Le Guin's writing compares to, for example, Tolkien, Sanderson, Rothfuss, etc. We've kind of talked about that already. Yeah, I I would just say favorably, really well. I I love her style. Now I didn't when I was twenty three. I do now. <laughs> it speaks really well to it that I feel that the comparison is a little bit backwards, only because of where we are in time. Sure. Yeah. Like, how did they compare to her? Yeah. Yeah. So good, but that speaks very well to the fact that your writing has lasted as long as it has, and is the bar by which you are com- that you would compare the best authors of our time as well sure um okay so lady sweden asks uh three guesses where she's from asks is uh, wizard of earth sea the right entry point to Le Guin? if not where to start well <laughs> as someone who has read precisely one ursula k Le Guin book i can tell you this is a great entry point because i want to read more yeah i the 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 two the two books that get the most attention for her as far as entry points uh one is this and the other is um oh disney just did it as a movie badly um, that doesn't narrow the field very much yeah. for me todd <laughs> um the left hand of darkness no a wrinkle in time no that's madeline lengel oh that is madeline lengel i'm sorry you're right left hand of darkness is her other giant seller I, and i and i would i liked that but i would go i would i would stay with i would stay with this as a better entry point you're right i was confusing the two of them that yeah. one uh madeline langle has a similar approach because it's all about the young person following the young person's journey uh, but it's more of a sci-fi maybe i don't know yeah I, I think you need to read that one again they're pretty different as I don't far as that. i'm concerned i wouldn't always uh recommend this as a judgment path but uh if the book title is in the general knowledge, like it's what it, pop like, culture, like oh, okay. Wizard of Earth Sea is something that has appeared in other liter in other things. Yes, um, that's probably a good sign that it's a good entry point because it's fairly well known in right. this case. So, like I said, I wouldn't always use that as a judgment, but in this case, it's, yes, it's a bit like um, you're introduced to a new band, and it's mm. like, okay, look, they're technically their best stuff. Well, you know, it's like track seven on their sophomore album is really just, you know, chef's kiss, right? But as far as entry points go, you want to go with uh, the the big smash hit that was the, the, the song of the summer in 2007, you know? Um, and that's how you that's how you get into some... That, okay, it's a bad comparison. Craig is but just you see explaining his path through the Evanescence soundtracks. Oh, oh man. Wow. He got into it through Daredevil, but now... You know what? <laughs> Amy Lee is the greatest thing that Daredevil ever gave us. So I'll, I'll buy that. I'll die on that. I'll, hill. I'll buy that. Uh, okay, so let's for a dollar. Let's Quit move caterwauling. On. <laughs> yeah, cat, yeah, that's right. We're caterwauling again. Um, <laughs> Jeff Dugan. I love when people use their actual names on Discord, or at least what I assume is his actual name, because uh, it just makes it easier to remember. Jeff Dugan asks uh, maybe touchy ground and more a statement for reaction than a specific question. Uh, but Geb and the other characters are described as dark-skinned, but have been cast as white in the adaptations. Problematic? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. Never seen any of the adaptations, so I can't speak to them. I have. And she's yeah. never, Le Guin was never, has never been happy with them. Oh, of course not. So Yeah, it's, I, I'd say it's pretty rare that an author is actually happy with an adaptation of their work. Um, but as far as it goes, you know, if if that's the case, then problematic i mean compared to what you know at, at the time uh you know could they have made a better decision yeah should they have made it made a better decision yeah i would it, say anything going is, forward obviously that's yeah if they were to do that now it would probably be more problematic um than it was in the 90s or whatever um again not to say that they couldn't have made a better decision at that point but it is it is interesting and it's one of those things that um if we talk about that just a little bit as far as the book itself how it kind of exists in conversation with the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. where the Lord of the Rings is um, is very much a Nordic uh, centric 
a kind of a Germanic, I, yeah. I should say, a Germanic work. And so the the main characters are all white, and they they do battle with the the Easterlings and the Southrons and all, you know all this stuff. And and so it's told from that perspective. And this is very uh, very different. The opposite of that. I mentioned it's the echoes that I see in uh, the Brent Weeks series because uh, because this felt very Mediterranean to me. You know, if we're speaking kind of racially at least, if if not with the seafaring stuff as well, but the most of the main characters in this are uh, copper skinned or black. And then who and the, who do they who do they fear? Who are the barbarians who are just um, you the know slavers awful? and the they're the they're the snow white folks from up north or whatever where yeah. they're from they're vikings basically right so i i thought that was interesting and it's kind of and one of the things i like about it is that she doesn't doesn't dwell on it or anything it's just a feature of the world and so you can see how this would be um if you were to to give it a geography in our real world i think mediterranean would be a really interesting one to go with because then you do get that kind of echoes in real world history with the Vikings versus the the folks down south, you know, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, anyway, boy, that took us far afield from the actual question, which was about adaptations. But yeah, okay, look, if they made the if they made the adaptation again now, yeah, they should they should probably catch that correctly. Yeah, that would be nice. the 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 one question that I think always comes up with adaptations uh, that I that I always deal with is at, at, at least as I'm looking at it is where do you make the compromises with, if, if we make the compromise in the, in the skin color and we cast the entire show with people of color or people not of color, either way, are there other ways that you can differentiate them? Absolutely. Does it diminish the storytelling that's involved? Maybe, maybe not. But if it's a, if, if that's the compromise, if that's the compromise that's made and otherwise it's a good adaptation, I wonder how upset we would be or how upset yeah. she would be if they were, because the, the adaptation that was done, there were, there were some people of color that were mixed in with some of the, you know, the main characters were, uh, were obviously uh, white. They were, they were European rather than being of a, of a darker skin color. Um, but a couple of the characters were people of color. But the adaptation was so bad <laughs> that it didn't matter that that <laughs> it y- couldn't cover up its other sins. In fact, when when it came out, I remember I remember saying to my wife, oh, I can't wait to have you watch this. This was such an influential book. I'm sure it's going to be. And it was on sci fi. So I was sure it was going to be so well done. I would. Do you know when that came out? Uh, it was chance? 1990. I want to say 1993. So long before the sci fi channel was good. Uh, yeah, but I was watching a lot of stuff on sci-fi, so... Yeah. I, I mean, they hadn't really hit their stride. Sharknado wasn't a thing. Uh, <laughs> no, they were producing Shark-tipus lots of... Sharknado is actually still the best of <laughs> what they've done. Hercules, The Legendary Journeys was still oh, uh, kicking gosh. around, so... Yeah. Kevin Sorbo? Yeah, Kevin Sorbo before he it's was... Disappointed! <laughs> one, one of my all-time favorite moments. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it was... And, and in the first 10 minutes, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm so sorry, we're turning this off. And I... Boy, Todd, you are just uh, you're you're like shutting shows off left and right on this episode. This was I, I'm sorry, but when <laughs> when it's something that is when it's something that becomes a really important, uh, and I'm sure you may have done some of the same thing with uh, with the Lord of the Rings adaptation, the one oh, the Hobbit. Looked, no, the one that looked like it was a bad acid trip. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know the one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, from now. back in the uh, 70s, 80s, yeah, whatever. Mm, it, 70s, I think. If if it's a good adaptation, there I'll I'll recognize where you've made compromises. So, okay, so let me let me see if I can distill your position. Sure. Uh from 5 minutes ago cuz we went off on a, another tangent. Oh, it was 3 minutes ago. Oh, okay, it. sorry. Uh what you're saying is a a racially miscast show that's it's not a deadly sin for you no okay personally right no i understand um okay so yeah and i would say my my thought on the matter is of all the things you could do how do i put this there are things that are really tough about an adaptation Mm -hmm. and there are things that are easy about an adaptation and i'm like well that seems like a pretty easy win Mm -hmm. amen right get that one right 
Amen. And then, you know, build from there. So I, yeah, I would, I would rather that they do that, you know, it's according a to the, the hurdle. It's yeah. a necessary hurdle to, yeah. to make that alteration. Right. So, uh, okay. Well, let's uh, move on to the last one. And this is from Shifu Juju. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that from Discord. Shifu asks, uh, or says, just says, I read Wizard of Earthsea last year for a book club. Wasn't my cup of tea. That's it. That's the whole comment. But I thought it was worth a response. Hmm. Um, I Actually part- dealing with that myself uh, at home. Stephanie read this because it actually showed up in another book that she was reading or another movie or whatever. And it was guy loves girl meets girl whatever but she the girl had to read wizard of earth sea so that she could understand where he was coming from <laughs> that's literally <laughs> the connection here so she's like i need to read what this this book that helped you know understand yeah, yeah. each other or whatever and she read it and she's like i don't remember anything that happened i don't know like i that's, didn't that no. is that is the reaction i had after the first time i read it in my early 20s where i mean immediately after i closed the book i was like wait what and I, I didn't absorb it for one reason or another. I, I, it's been too long now. I can't remember exactly why I didn't absorb anything. But if you had asked me two weeks ago, what is the book about? I'd be like, ah, something about a, I, something about a guy, a wizard and a shadow. Or, and that's about all I would have been able to give you. Um, so I had read it, but I didn't retain anything of it. Now, after my second time through, um, I have much, much more... Uh, respect for the book i actually thoroughly enjoyed it really really loved it actually um and so i wonder if it's just a i wonder if it's exposure where she is very different from the things that we tend to read nowadays yeah and so it's tough for that to kind of penetrate the skull well and and she doesn't deal with any real female protagonists true uh, the one, the one notable female in the book that shows up a couple of times is really two dimensional and used as a, used as a trope, uh, of the, of the deceitful and yep, yep. tempting <laughs> young thing to right. get you to do something awful and blah, 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 blah over and over and over again. I mean, not just once, yeah, yeah. but multiple times. And so when we, when we look at that again, through the lens of time, it may not have been all that unusual in the story structure for the time. But now as we've moved forward and we do have female protagonists that are at least as strong and at least as interesting as all of the male protagonists that you might want to throw at them, especially if you've been reading some of these authors that go out of their way to make sure that they have those kinds of characters. Yeah, I can get it. Uh, I can also I could also recognize that if you have been used to the kind of fantasy that that we have been reading now on the podcast for several years if you've been if you've been reading Brandon Sanderson and you come in to read a wizard of Ursi and you're like it, and and they have this duel that's supposed to take place and it's a paragraph yeah when in Brandon Sanderson that would be at least a half a chapter and it would be the kind of half a chapter that you would turn quickly as you're moving through it i can i can see that this requires a requires a different level of expectation it's firing different sections of your brain right oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah very so i'm curious if somebody who did not enjoy it the first time uh when i don't enjoy something i'm not inclined generally to put myself through it again sure um i think depending on when they say it wasn't my cup of tea i would be curious as to know what about the experience wasn't your cup of tea to mm-hmm. to decide whether or not it would be worth investing again? And if you decided to invest again, how far into the book would you go before you decided, no, this really isn't for me, right. or you realize that there is something here that I didn't catch the first time? Maybe they just needed some Dramamine because there was too much seasickness going on. I'm what? kidding. I'm kidding. What are you talking about? The- <laughs> I missed it somewhere. <laughs> Baseball's been gone for a while because Todd just struck out hardcore. Oh! <laughs> um, what the hell were we just talking about? <laughs> what were you just saying? Oh yeah, the second time through. Oh yeah, would you do it a second time through? Yeah, I, I I suppose that's just a personality thing, and some people have. How do I put it? Um, I I I I have begun separating the world into two different types of people: the type who seek pleasure and the type who avoid pain. And I think for the type who avoid pain. 
they would they would read this book and if they didn't like it they'd be like why would i do that to myself again i I didn't enjoy that why would i do that and for the type who seek pleasure they would say well you know i didn't enjoy that but so many people do i need to go back and figure out why what did i miss so let me ask this of you craig yeah you didn't enjoy it the first time through correct in fact i as I recall, not, not that I hated it. I just didn't, I didn't, it didn't affect me. That was a, that was an, that was one of the things that I, that I remember early on. We, uh, in some of our conversations, oh, I can't believe you like that. Really? I can't believe yeah. you didn't. Yeah. So you, would you have decided to do that book again? Had it not been for the podcast? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would. Okay. Because it, I don't think the podcast is ever going to come back to Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb, mm-hmm. but I am. I'm going to go figure out why I didn't like that book the first time through. Okay. Because by the time I got to the end of it, I started to see the merit in her writing style and what she was doing with the story. I started to kind of get it. And so many people love it so much that I need to figure out why I didn't like the, like it the first time through. So yeah, I will be going back to that book. Um, and I think it's, and I think it's fair, both, both types of readers. If that's the, if that's the distinctions that we're going to use, both types of readers have, have plenty of things for them to explore yeah. and to, and to grow from. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that there are enough people that, that have enjoyed it over time that it's survived. For sure. And it's it, like I say, it's kind of that thing that made me want to go back to it is what did I miss? There's so many people that whose opinions I trust say that this is an amazing book and it didn't affect me at all the first time through What's wrong with me? Let's go figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, and I'm glad I did because I appreciate that point of view. We don't, we don't call that out enough. The idea of something that you, if you don't enjoy something, it doesn't mean that it's garbage. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or anything either, but check your own lens when you look through something to realize what, how it affects what you're, what you're reading and doing. Cause it, and sometimes it has everything to do with, I, I, I like the, the phrase you use your, your lens it has everything to do with some of the context that you may be dealing with at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the reason that I loved a Wizard of Earthsea was because I was I was Ged's age, mm. and it was this idea that even at that age, wonderful things can happen, and so I bought into it. Yeah. So we haven't talked much about the story itself i i I got us up to now that we have five minutes left oh (laughs) i got us up to wizard school and then just kind of abandoned that but now that we've gotten through the discord stuff maybe we come back to that a little bit and just say uh, okay so what else happens he goes after he graduates he goes and takes on the dragon for the island people uh but he says, you know, I got to leave because this shadow thing is chasing me. So he uh, runs away from the shadow and it chases him down at this castle where the temptress lady kind of uh, seduces him into almost giving his soul to a rock. Uh, and uh, there, there's a confrontation with the shadow thing there. And then he turns into a hawk and he flies back to his hometown. Um, and it's at that point that he decides, no, I need to stop being hunted by the shadow. I need to go on the hunt. And so he turns around and faces it, and um, and that's kind of takes us through the last leg of the story when he meets up with his old friend Vetch from Wizard School, and they go hunting the shadow together. Um, okay, so now that gets us to the end of the story. Let's talk about the ending a little bit. And as you said, Ryan, this is very Aesopian in its mm-hmm. I, I would say blossom blossom esque. And it's, uh, you know, I think the, it's the moral of the story. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting that you're connecting it to Blossom. Okay, and I was, we, could do, we could do South Park. You know, I, I, was think, thinking, I think we've all learned an interesting, a valuable lesson here. I was thinking the Animaniacs with the Wheel of Morality telling us, <laughs> turn, yeah, turn, turn. Yeah, tell us the lesson that we should learn. Yeah. Ching! There you go. Uh, anyway, it's a decent lesson. And I think it's interesting, again, in, um, in conversation with the Lord of the Rings, right? If we kind of put them together. The Lord of the Rings is a very, uh, um, it, it does include internal struggle, obviously, with Frodo and, and Gollum and wrestling with the ring and all that stuff. It does include that, but the story is made epic. It's epic fantasy because of all of the external, grand, good versus evil battles and, you know, all that stuff, like the world events that are happening. There is none of that. Nope. It's all about an internal struggle and it's not even it turns out in the ending we understand and i I mean you know as adults you can kind of see it coming from a mile away 
but you come to understand in the ending that the shadow was part of Ged all along, and he was chasing down a part of himself, and he had to reunite with it to become a whole person again, right? Um, and so it's not an external force like the ring, it's himself, right? And so he has to, it's his shadow link, right? If we're going video gaming here. So. Yes, uh, I think that this could be very easily compared to the great classic literature piece, uh, Fight Club. Um, sure. <laughs> Which one's Durden? The Shadow? Yeah. Okay. No, actually, m my legitimate actual classic literature connection would be uh, the Jekyll and Hyde story. Oh, thank Separating you. man, good, man's good and man's evil, what that does <laughs> to a person, and uh, then trying to reintegrate the two. Yeah. And that's I think that's one place where the those two stories differ. Uh, they take a different path at the end when... Obviously, Jekyll and Hyde, they don't recombine, but when they're forced into a confrontation, it falls apart. They, everyone dies. Right. Um, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Whereas in this case, it becomes the moral that good, the, your good side and your evil side, uh, your, your light and your dark, so long as they... I think it's funny how they, com how they combined it. It was saying they both said the name at the same time yeah. and everything when they are combined and neither has control entire control over the other that's when you become a whole person again yeah uh you're not shunning one side or the other you realize that there is that both parts to you and don't give entire entire control to one or the other i was like that's that's quite a message a man who embraces both and i'm i'm paraphrasing but it seems like they they said something along the lines of a man who embraces both side, both parts of himself cannot be controlled by either, uh, cannot be controlled yes. by an external force. Right, right. I was, I, and, you know, pretty heavy handed as sure. far as. And that's why I say, you know, this is probably meant for younger yeah. audiences. And so I, ha I have no problem with heavy handedness to a certain degree in that case. Yeah. Right. Um, but it does make me wonder. Well, first of all, I should say I've been talking for a long time about how I wish that more. Um, especially big projects like something like Star Wars. You know, I've, I've always wanted, uh, w with the new trilogy, I wanted Rey to combine, she and Kylo Ren to combine light and dark together and, you know, make the Force whole again, right? That would have been a cool storyline for me. And I was like, why can't we have stories like that? Well, here it is. Yeah, you know, this is that kind of story, right? Um, and anyway, so I, I also wonder what my reaction to this would have been had I read it at a younger age, at a yeah. 14 like you did, Todd, because this is very much a coming of age story. Yep. And and as an adult, I can look at this and see, you know, and I'm sure it'll be different when I'm 40, 50, 60. It'll, you know, it'll keep changing and my perspective will be different. But even now I can see, you know, what I, I, sh shadows or shades of myself as a kid when I yeah. was uh, a cocky braggart who wanted to impress everybody and so in my pride did horribly foolish things, right? Like I can see that in myself and I can see where I grew to accept certain parts of myself that I always kind of wanted to reject and that that helped me to become more comfortable and, and all that stuff. So I can see that now. I wonder yeah. what my reaction would have been at a younger age when I didn't have that perspective. I know for my, I, I know as I went back through and reread it this time, the one thing that I found myself going, oh, I love the story. And uh, now I look back on one piece, one aspect, and I say, uh-uh, I don't buy it. And that is that an 18 to 19 year old young man has the depth of wisdom that Ged develops along <laughs> this way in such a short period of well, time. Well, okay, look, I get it, but here's my counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> you and I didn't have that wisdom when we were 18 years old because we didn't, uh, we didn't unearth a demon and loose it upon the world and almost die in the process. I'm just saying, well, like, maybe you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a few people in England that might disagree with me on that one. <laughs> but do you know my point? Like, I do. The, I do. There's, it's a bit like, and uh, we didn't go to wizarding school. True, true. So no, but it's a common complaint with the Wheel of Time that everybody's so young they wouldn't have. They wouldn't be able to do all these things. Well, you know, they've been through a lot. When you live in a time when your lifespan is maybe 40 years, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're already in middle age at 19. He's, <laughs> he's there. You're fine. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that doesn't really bother me. I was thinking about that because it, it really is, as I was reading, there was a switch that was flipped. 
yeah. with the event when he releases the shadow and it almost kills him and then runs away uh, or is expelled, I suppose, by the, the Professor Dumbledore or whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry, Todd. <laughs> when, when that event occurs, like the Ged before and the Ged after... Uh, almost no relationship to each other except for memory right yeah like it really does change him because it's such a traumatic event so i do buy it i'm okay with it all right yeah well i agree to disagree i guess todd no i i i i i I get it and as a 14 year old it impacted me so heavily that i that i got it and i kept it the other thing that i think will be interesting and that i think maybe i need to do is go back and read the other two books oh yeah because there's much more about ged and about his and about the things that he does in his life and because i i and i there's a couple of moments that i remember i just don't remember how old he is when he does them and so i'm i think i'm gonna have to go back and reread those and and find out if my if if my um desire to have him uh age well pays off well hang on todd if you're if you're silent you can hear oh my the sound of typing on discord of people saying you guys should really read books two and three i know so, yeah. i'm sorry eventually we will i'm, I'm sure you know this will be a fun one to come back to and read book two i don't know ryan would you do it did you enjoy this one enough to read book two i did for I the think, show yeah I, I would never problem going and, and reading the other two good to know all right well uh, any other final thoughts any uh, lightning round observations anything you want to share before we uh call this one good i'll tackle we've already touched on the the subject but specifically the way this was written and the quote it's i really loved this moment um and it's after the it's in the moment where the stone was almost going to take him over but he's able to get past whatever right um <laughs> immediately hit the bookmark button in the car while listening said he had almost yielded, but not quite. He had not consented. It is very hard for evil to take hold of the unconsenting soul. And I was like, oh, that's one of those. The, I said there's like three or four in the in the story that grabbed me. That was one of them that I'm like, I need to I need to mark that so I can come back to it when we talk about it because that's that is a huge lesson for people to learn, especially right now in frustrating times yes. and dealing with this is. Uh, as much as you can, as hard as it may be, don't relent uh, because it is very difficult for evil to take over an unconsenting soul. Interesting. All right. Um, f- for me, the, the, the one piece that I really loved and continue to love is the relationship between Ged and Ojayan. That when, oh, that when <laughs> Ged almost loses himself, he goes to his master, yeah. to, his, to his first his mentor. And I have, I have had lots of teachers in my years, but I continue to call Steve on a regular basis and say, we need lunch because I have something that I think only you can help me worm out. And, uh, he's very, he's, he's been very much an Ojayan to me. Nice. That's very good. I have a final thought that is nowhere near the level of what you guys are talking about. Oh boy, here we go. No, I'm just, it, this is one of those, as I was reading, so I, again, I read the book, you guys listened to the book, and so you didn't experience this, uh, but it's one of those little things that I would like to see more often, and that is, uh, okay, so epic fantasy, or in this case, high fantasy, we didn't really talk about the difference in this episode, but it is worth, you know, maybe a weekender or something, um, but in fantasy, modern fantasy, maps are a big thing, mm. right? Every story mm-hmm. has to have a map mm-hmm. so you can know where you are because these stories span continents and oceans and all this stuff. And and this story is no different. There's a map, but the map is interspersed throughout the text. So as you read, as you move to different islands, every once in a while, you'll turn the page and you'll see a map on the other side of the page. And so you then you can see, oh, okay, in this part of the story, he sailed past this island and he's going here and you can actually see it. And it's just a little bit different that it is integrated with the text as you go through the story. And I thought mm. that was a really nice touch. And uh, and I would like to see that. Actually, I would wish the Lord of the Rings would have done that. Oh, yeah. If I'm being honest, uh, it would have been really nice to have uh, because the map moves with the story. You zoom in on different parts, right? So that would have been good. I really like that about this. All right. 
Anything else, gentlemen? No, I'm good. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was interesting and enjoyable. And after this, uh, like I said, we'll probably come back to Earthsea at some point because I really, I have my eye on the uh, the giant one-volume Earthsea compendium. I, I want an excuse mm-hmm. to buy that. So we'll come back to this <laughs> at some point. But it may be a little while. Next up, we are going into Broken Earth by N.K. Jemison. At least the red team is. Blue team, you're going on with Dresden Files. Yep. Um, you're done with uh, the Expanse for now. Temporarily. Temporarily. Yeah, we're putting a pause on the Expanse. Right. Um, anyway, so that's what we have coming up. I don't know that we're going to do the entire Broken Earth trilogy. I imagine that we will, but uh, I'm going to reserve the right to just do one book, I suppose. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. Ryan. Ryan's looking at me very surprised. Like, um, are, you, are we doing all three? Are we committing to all three? We don't have to commit to all three. I mean, we we went through Assassin's Apprentice despite having uh, yeah yeah the all three of those books limited limited appreciation for it. True, so. true. Yeah, and yeah. All right, I w- so, I wouldn't commit us to it, but I think it'll probably happen. it'll probably happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's what we have coming up next on the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening here again. If you enjoy what we do, then go to Patreon.com/slash/Legendarium and support the program there. You can also go to join the conversation on Discord and also hit us up on Twitter at LegendariumPod on Twitter. And uh, I would love to see you guys there. You can heap all sorts of abuse on us for the things that we forgot to talk about. And uh, the conversation will continue in those places. So thanks for listening again, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.